Hello, and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as Cash Rules Everything Around the World in 80 Days. It's a cultural quiz show and so much more. I'm Tony, and I am here with Austin and Nick. Hello, Austin and Nick. Hello. Hello. Austin and Nick, would you say that you are housemates? Some might call us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apartment mates. Okay. Maybe home mates? Yeah. Sweet mates. Sure. Flat mates? Mm. Maybe just mates. Maybe you guys are just friends. Like Maybe it doesn't have to be confined to the place where you live. Yeah. I could go with that. We're in different rooms now, though. We, uh, we're not speaking uh, <laughs> directly, only via third party. You are a moderator for a conflict that we're having right now. Nick, did you set up soundproofing in your room? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of Austin-proofed my room over the past few months. Austin-proofing, uh, does that involve putting little plastic blockers over the electrical outlets and locking all of the cabinet doors and things like that? Mostly just, like, lots of, like, overhanging stuff for him to hit his head on. <laughs> lots of low-hanging monkey bars and things like that. You really got to hide the pickles and... <laughs> mm. That's about it. I don't know what else I'd steal. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. You might steal money, Austin. And money is the theme of today's episode. Ooh. <laughs> I think we could have gotten... Uh, I think we could have gotten there without such ire from you. <laughs> you I think, think that was a little too it. aggressive? Yeah, I feel like money comes up a lot, you know? Yeah, I just was worried... I was worried that we were going to move on from that part of the conversation, and I thought it was a really... I thought it was a really smooth... Smooth transition. Yeah, the, the, the theme of today's show is money. I thought, coming hot off the tails of us writing a, a best-selling novel, that it would only be appropriate for us to talk about money. Do you guys have any thoughts about money? What is you know what what you know what money means to you? Yeah, I mean, I after after the success of that book, I don't need any more. I'm done. I think <laughs> you've I'm sort full. of reached your bliss point in terms of money. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I had a lot of very um, almost fundamental kind of uh, childhood. I was homeschooled for part of my childhood, where it was all about like money and how you know we should be gold standard and you know we should be spending <laughs> gold. So that you know it kind of makes you think about like, no, money's just paper, right? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Your parents were strict, strict gold standard people, huh? Yeah, I mean. But then isn't gold just rocks, you know, just shiny rocks? What's the difference between shiny rocks and shiny paper? That's true. It is true. A fiat currency. That's that's the word that we're looking for here. That's that is a that is a currency that is not based off of any any precious metals or anything like that or or pegged to Uh another currency. It's a fiat currency. Unrelated to the car company, as far as I know. Yeah, we 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 get it that. You made it into that PhD program <laughs> that we all applied to, and we didn't. Let's get to the first category of trivia. These are going to be the best-selling books of all time. So I want you to get in that headspace. This comes from a source. It's, uh, it's en.wikipedia.org. Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. So to, to make it on this list, so they did not include comics or textbooks in this list. And there are a few books like The Count of Monte Cristo and A Christmas Carol, which have been in the public domain so long that they can't, like, get a really good count on that. They also exclude religious, ideological, philosophical, and political books. 
e.g. the Bible, the Quran, and the Little Red Book, or quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong. Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf would not be included. Or, is, or you uh, just were you just saying that those are the only books you know and that, that you're going to struggle now with this section? <laughs> just lapsing into German. Right. <laughs> I, I, my method of giving clues in this category is that I am going to read one-star Amazon.com reviews of these books. So mind you, these, these are the best-selling books of all time, but they, they were not, not for everyone. So hmm. I'm going to read one-star reviews, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to figure out what book I'm referring to. Are you ready? Beautiful. Is there, a, is there a time period we're operating within here? Well, I don't, I'm, a little, I'm a little hesitant to give you too many clues because especially for this first one that'll that'll kind of give it away. So let me right. let me just let me read let me read the first review. Begins with a word in all caps. Desilusión. No me parece bien que me vendan un libro de tan famoso nombre y luego al empezar a leerlo me encuentro con que es una supuesta segunda parte. Me siento engañada. No era este libro el que le quería leer. That was written by Lectora Divino Terroso on December 10, 2013. Uh, um, Nick, do you speak so, Spanish? Uh, no. Was that... So the review is all in Spanish? That, well, this particular review it? is in Spanish, and you may have noticed my use of the coronal fricative, or coronal fricative, uh, which is sometimes known as the Spanish lisp. So not only is this a Spanish language book, but it, but it originates from, from the country of Spain. Uh, is it the countryside of Spain? That is where it takes place, yes. Oh, I have a guess. You is it, uh, say it aloud. Is it Don Quixote? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Lost popular brother of the Quaker Oats uh, <laughs> mascot. Yep. 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 Don Quixote. He makes very good apple cinnamon flavored <laughs> breakfast instant oatmeal. You can warm them right up in your microwave. Yes, that is correct, Nicholas. Don Quixote. It's the best-selling book of all time, having sold over 500 million copies. Best-selling book of all time. Yeah, or best-selling novel. I mean, again, you know, this this excludes the Bible right. and, and political text. But yeah, it's, I think perhaps on a per-year basis, it is not the highest-selling, but it, it had a, a leg up on the competition in that it's uh, it's it's been around since 1605. So it's had. How were they able to to measure that one, but not? You, you mentioned they can't measure like Charles Dickens. Yeah, or... I know. I, I I to be honest, I don't have a good answer to that question, and you're gonna have to take it up with Jimmy Wales. <laughs> Founder of Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> who I assume is personally monitoring all of this. So for those of you in the audience who, who can't understand my, my, what, is, what amounts to fluent Spanish, uh, a lot of the complaints about this book on Amazon were that people were trying to buy the full book, but it, it comes in two parts, and for some reason the seller only sent them the second part. So this, this particular reviewer only received these, this, the segunda parte of... Don Quixote of Miguel de Cervantes Don Quixote and was was disillusioned by that. So it's not about the content. Not about the rest the content, of no. yeah. The rest of the book is spoiled for you. <laughs> exactly. You, you leap if right. You, know. you leap. You leap and media res, and things get very confusing. There were a few other reviews based off of the content. One of them from George Fox on November 22, 2012. He says, "It is supposedly a great Spanish classic, but it is as bad as Shakespeare. I got very little out of it." <laughs> You know, if anyone describes my writing as as bad as Shakespeare, I think I'd be happy. <laughs> that's, that's a very it's 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 a, it's a weird bar to set. 
And now the next trivia question for you guys is, do you think that George Spox spelled the name Shakespeare correctly in his review? Or do you think he spelled it incorrectly? Um, I think he spelled it incorrectly. He did. You're right. That's right, Nick. It's 10 points for you. Uh, He did spell it incorrectly. He spelled it as a portmanteau of the word shake and spear, neglecting the the, uh, ultimate E that should go on Mm -hmm. the end of that word. Jack, on October 9, 2016, simply left the, the comment, never read it. One star. And gave it one star. <laughs> oh, there's a special circle in hell for those kind of people. Never went to this restaurant. One star. Oh, uh, this recipe gets five stars. I substituted everything for everything else, and I haven't cooked it yet, but I it sure does it's, look good on the yeah. plate. He may he may have literally judged this book by its cover. <laughs> Worry about that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the best selling book of all time with 500 million copies, Don Quixote. The next book, reviewed by Peterson Farm, February 28, 2015. The first paragraph was cool and did not, <laughs> did not get much farther. If you like unintelligible prose, go for it. So the, the hint embedded in there is that the first few lines are incredibly famous. This, this next review, um, <laughs> which I like a lot, is, uh, m- might give you a little more context. This is a Kindle customer on February 25, 2016, who says... Eiffel Tower, 1887 to 89, not built during French Revolution, 1789 to 99. The cover is wrong. Again, we have someone judging this book by its cover, although I really like that the, the dedication to historical accuracy that this person brought to the table. I do too. It's got to be Ratatouille. Right? <laughs> Hail Two Cities. Yes. Uh, what was the second? What was the second city? I I, I haven't actually read it, but it's, I think it's Paris and London. Is that what it is? Oh, okay, uh, it's like Isengard and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I, I believe it's uh, the Tower of Orthanc and, and the Tower of Barajour are the words you're looking for. Uh, yes, London and Paris before and during the French Revolution, which notably took place before the Eiffel Tower was erected. Indeed, almost a hundred years before. I've read Tale of Two Towers. I have not read uh, Don Quixote. <laughs> I assume you meant to say A Tale of Two Cities, but you did say A Tale of Two Towers, which I really like. On the topic of bad one-star reviews, Stephanie Ellison on October 2, 2014 just says, Never ordered. So I don't think... <laughs> not only did she not get around to reading it, she didn't even get around to buying this book. Unless... She got a copy where all of the words were mixed up. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> so she, she thought, a, I, see the, I see the greatness in here. <laughs> um, but it is unintelligible never, prose. It was never ordered. Right. It never got ordered. The words were never put into order. Or perhaps she, she didn't order it, but she got the book anyway. And she was <laughs> disappointed by that. Speaking of word order, do you guys think, you know, I, you guys in past podcasts were talking about you know, writing and books. You think it'd be possible to be a good writer without knowing how to read? Where like you just analyze the order of words and like figure out like the patterns in your mind. Interesting. There are AI basically bots that are trained to read bodies of work and then you know create new work using the the patterns found therein. Oh, interesting. And similarly, they've, they've tried to make music that way. You know, you, you analyze patterns that certain... So I bet, I, bet you could, uh, I bet you could find some interesting stuff that way. 
Yeah. Huh. Hmm. hmm. I'm going to dwell on that. It's kind of all we do. We just listen to music and then, use, you know, our influences just kind of shape. It's true. It's true. We do it. We do it tacitly. Yeah. A Tale of Two Cities. 1859, Charles Dickens. 200 million copies sold. For the next few, we are we are going to leap into the the twentieth century. So these are all these are all books for which I I think that the sales numbers are substantially more reputable. One star review for this book. User Capo on August 11, twenty thirteen. All three books in one, my butt. <laughs> Says Capo. <laughs> 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 and I, I read that as it was punctuated, which is only an exclamation point at the end. I'll read it one more time. All three books in one, my butt. <laughs> any, any guesses what, what Capo was, was disappointed by? A trilogy of some sort. It does have to be a trilogy of some sort. And, and indeed, this is, this is not a, a complaint about the, the trilogy itself, but of the seller only sending one, one of the books in the trilogy. But, but what, what do you think would be the, the best-selling trilogy of all time? Um, a Tale of Two Towers. <laughs> a Tale of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes, it is. It is J. R. R. Tolkien's famous fantasy trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, published in English over the 1954 to 1955 pair of years. It's kind of got nice iambic pentameter to it. That review. <laughs> All three books in one, my butt. It's nice. Sure. Uh, There is a review uh, from Zachary Lane Martin on March 14, 2013. This is kind of a sad one, so I want you guys to – I hope you're sitting down for this. Zachary Lane Martin says, This was an amazing book. I loved it. It made me want more stories. Please follow on this series. Zachary, Tolkien can't can't follow up on this series. He, He passed away. Please, please write another book. <laughs> and what's what makes it doubly sad is this is a one-star review. Maybe it's the one stars because Tolkien's dead. Maybe oh yeah, maybe he's reviewing reality itself, mm. and he's saying reality sucks. One star for reality. Mm. Maybe it's a uh, one star to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> it is the one. This is the one star. Yes. Uh, 150 million copies sold. Did I say that already? 150 million. That's a lot. The next book, all of the one-star reviews for this book were related to the fact that there were no illustrations in the copy that they received. So it was all criticisms of the of the the, the publishing of the book, not the the book itself. I will read the the French language Wikipedia page for this book to sort of get you in the the spirit of, of this book. Are you ready? Yes. Le petit prince est une œuvre de langue François, la plus connue d'Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Publié en 1943, à New York à sa traduction anglaise, c'est un conte pratique et philosophique sur l'apparence d'un conte pour enfants. Traduit à ce jour en 300 languages, le petit prince est la dernière la plus traduite à mon après la Bible. <laughs> Any, any uh, guesses what that book might be? I heard uh, 300 in there, so I'm going to go with... 
Uh, yeah, is it 300? I, I told you that the comics are not included, so it is, it is not 300. <laughs> oh, shucks. Uh, it is it, the the two things I mentioned about this book. One that people complained about no illustrations, and two that I chose the French language Wikipedia page are both relevant. It's the Little Prince. It is the Little Le Prince. Petite. Ooh. Le Petit Prince. <laughs> Hundred and forty million copies sold. Overrated, honestly. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, one star review from Austin. Overrated. Yeah. Overrated. Nick wrote a. Uh... Nick wrote a kid's book for our creative writing class that I like better than Little Prince. So. I don't have any illustrations, though. <laughs> yeah. One what star. Was, uh, what was your kid's book about, Nick? It's about a little bottle that was looking for meaning, and he was trying to deliver a message, but then he gets destroyed. But then he kind of delivers the message, but then the message is all drenched in seawater. Sounds, uh, um, sounds kind of sad. We decided the other day that um, the little boy puts a message in the bottle, and then a girl finds it years later, and it just says, hey, you up? <laughs> At the end. Uh, you did hear the word 300. What, uh, what do you think the 300 was referring to in that Wikipedia article? 300 copies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the... Passed around a lot. Any uh, guesses what the, the 300 refers to? It has been translated into 300 languages, which means that it is the second most translated work after the Bible. Wow. But uh, Austin says it's overrated, so let's move on. This is a lot of the subtlety in the English version, I guess. (laughs) You really hated that book, huh? I mean, I don't hate it. I just, you know, and this is not a popular opinion, but it's the same way I feel about East of Eden. It's like, it's a good book. But it's everyone's favorite book. I see. That's fair. Like, people have Little Prince tattoos. People, it's yeah. like... You're being contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Yeah, I really could be. It's possible for something to be both very good and overrated. Yeah, because uh, what if I think that it's good enough that, that 5 billion people should have it as their favorite book, but 5 billion and 1, that, too much. That's crossing the <laughs> line. Yeah. Overrated. Because I like East of Eden. Yeah, no, I do. I well, I haven't read all of it. Mm. Um, ah, so the truth comes out, Austin. Yeah, so Nick, you called me out. <laughs> I, I I hate Infinite Jest. I've just read the first five pages. <laughs> I just abhor uh, Ulysses, and I I don't even know what that is. I just <laughs> you just know that people talk about it. Yeah. Very good. The Little Prince, 140 million copies sold, published in 1943. That's a big one. This next one, <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, a lot of grandparent reviews on this book, and I'll, I'll read I'll read one of the grandparent one star reviews. This is just Amazon customer, October 25, twenty sixteen. I'm thinking he doesn't like it. Unlike our other grandson who has read it, no idea. He hasn't read it yet. Too much video. What a shame. I'm thinking he doesn't like it. Unlike our other grandson who has read every one at least three times. Although the newest book, I must say, he did not like the format. That play idea was a mistake. It takes away from the falling into the story as if you are there. What a shame to wait so long for something and be so excited, and then boom. He reads three grades above his grade level, so it's not like he couldn't understand it. It just took the joy away. <laughs> I want to say a little brag about our grandson. Yeah. <laughs> 
me let me read this exchange. <clears throat> Diane M. Hahn on July 21, 2015 said, There is better reading material out there to influence my grandson's mind. And influences in quotes. Then KT responded almost immediately with, Like the Pope, he said RK is philosopher, so is a sorcerer. But offering up prayers to Mary is also sorcery. He misses that oh well smile. Any guesses what RK might refer to? Is that RK, RK Rowling? I, I, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I looked up RK on Wikipedia to see if I could find anything. Wikipedia R, uh, offers uh, R. Kelly. So they say RK could refer mm. to R. Kelly, American R&B Reliant K, Christian rock band. Nick, what's that band that you really like? RK. Oh, are you thinking RK. Arcade Fire? You're thinking FKA Twigs. <laughs> yeah, uh, RK Fire. Oh. <laughs> But I didn't know you liked FK Twigs. That's fun. Eh, kind of. <laughs> uh, other other options from Wikipedia. Rajesh Khanna, a Bollywood film actor. Also, Ram Kapoor, another Bollywood film actor. Uh, Yam's less popular brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the Kapoor brothers, Yam and Ram. Uh <laughs> RK-95 and RK-62 are, are Finnish assault rifles. RK can refer to Rykenium, which was a proposed name for the element Anuntrium. How about uh, Rudyard Kipling? Oh. oh. He said Rudyard Kipling is philosopher, so is a sorcerer. Yeah. Well, if that person was trying to say J.K. Rowling, you know, the R is pretty far away from the J on the <laughs> keyboard. But it would be. Yeah, KT may have been trying to refer to J.K. Rowling as we are indeed talking about Harry Potter and these sorcerers slash philosophers stone. Perhaps. 100, 120 million copies sold. It's a lot of copies. Did you guys know that J.K. Rowling is the first billionaire author? I did not know that, and I'm very interested to know that. Hmm. I didn't know that either. JK. <laughs> nice. Uh, this, is, this is the final one I'm going to give, give clues for. I'm going to read two one-star reviews. Here's, here's a one-star review from Gabrielle Ness, September 29, 2014. One of many great books, but J.R.R. Tolkien is an amazing author, and all his writings never disappoint. Amazing read for all ages. A, a second one-star one one review. This book was awesome and so exciting. I totally recommend this book for any age. If you want to read it, read it. That's from Kiara on March 10, 2013. <laughs> oh, this book's great, but uh, you don't need me to tell you. <laughs> do yeah, maybe do. that's their way of doing the sort of LeVar Burton, don't take my word for it. <laughs> so they gave it one star. It's possible they thought it was going, like one star was is order descending in terms of like one star is the best, five star is the worst. <laughs> They think they think that Tolkien doesn't want your stars. Like the other day, I, there's some play on the on the bus, and it had five star, and then in parentheses, out of five. <laughs> you know, just in case you thought it was out of the ten star <laughs> play review. <laughs> Which, if it was out of ten stars, five stars would be a very funny, uh, a very <laughs> funny advertisement. One of my favorite ten examples stars. of that was a, uh, I believe it was a Lassie movie, some dog themed movie where the blurb that they had on the front cover was a review that just said, A-. minus. <laughs> I mean, it's a good grade, but it's not something I would put on the front cover of a, of a, of a movie. 
Like they got one person to go see it. Yeah. (laughs) It was okay. It was an A minus film. (laughs) Yeah, The Hobbit sold 100 million copies. And then rounding out three more that sold 100 million copies, a a book called And Then There Were None. By Mary Higgins Clark. By Agatha Christie. Damn it. (laughs) I was thinking of the Christian version. You know what? This this book really does need Christianizing, though, because I'll tell you what. Do you know what the original title of And Then There Were None was? Ten Little Indians. Even worse. One Little Indian. <laughs> uh, no, in fact, the original title, uh, Ten Little... And then it, you know, it's a racial slur that starts with the letter N, which I won't even, I won't, I won't even see fit to to speak into this microphone. But if you go to the Wikipedia page, you'll see the original cover, and it just in big red block letters, it is ten little racial slurs by Agatha Christie. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and the front cover art is as offensive as you would imagine it to be with a title like that. It is uh, ten little basically savage looking people it is unbelievable and you're saying oh tony times were different in the 1700s when this novel was written psych it was written in 1939 goodness did you know you can still buy it in barnes and noble today with the The original original title or does it is do they only have the new title probably just the new title yeah probably just (laughs) you had me excited for a second there yeah, it is. Uh, it is based. So there's, you know, there's the little, you know, the one little, two little, three little Indians, four little, five. That little song, that song. There is a version of that which includes instead of Indians the racial slur, and that is a theme apparently in the book that Agatha thought would be a great idea to include. And then the new title, all there. Then there were none. Does that mean they all? Got killed or something? Well, yeah, so that's what happens in the song is, is one by one the the Indians or, or whatever the song happens to be about, they sort of disappear one by one, and that's that's what happens in the book is the characters die one by one. Yeah, so, but, and then there were none, over 100 million copies sold. So apparently uh, at least 100 million people did not find it objectionable in the same way that I did. Man. And to be clear, I think that, you know, the, the racial slur is used in, you know, for instance, Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And there I think it is used yeah. in, in a way that is, that is thematic and, and works within the context of the novel. But it just, you know, it almost seems exploitative by Agatha. Right. The next book to, to have sold 100 million copies is a book called Dream of the Red Chamber. It's a Chinese book written in the 18th century. It is uh, sort of a grand family drama. And then the last, the last book to have sold over 100 million copies is, is my least favorite book of all time. Which is Alice in Wonderland. You're exactly right, Austin. 100 million copies sold. Those are the, all of the books that have sold over 100 million copies. Don Quixote, A Tale of Two Cities, The Lord of the Rings, The Little Prince, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Hobbit, and Then There Were None, Dream of the Red Chamber, and Alice in Wonderland. Wow. it's a lot of books. A lot of books. Our next category of trivia is fictional currencies. I went on the Wikipedia page of, of fictional currencies. What do you think was the most common fictional currency name on that list? Uh, Republican credits. Uh, well, credits. Yeah, credits was the most common one because basically every single futuristic work of fiction 
uses credits to some degree. Well, they uh, they will do fine, so it makes sense. <laughs> yes, credits, including both Star Wars and Star Trek, use credits. And then the second most common is the... So that's the sci-fi classic. The second most common is the, the fantasy classic. What do you think that is? Um, gold bars or something? Yes. Just gold. Nick, two Ooh. for freaking two, dude. Two for two. You should... Uh, but gold, gold is not a fictional currency, though. I, yeah, I, gold coins of, of various types. You're, right. I, that, Unspecified. But as Nick says, gold is just a shiny metal. So it is, you know, it is, it's fictional in that sense. You know, the value that we assign to it is just... It's heavy. Is, it, is the value in the heaviness? Do we value things that are heavy? <laughs> well, Dick sold a lot of copies. It did. It sold a ton of copies. <laughs> Can you name the fictional currency used in the Legend of Zelda series of video games? Rupees. Nice. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty similar to a real currency. It is extremely similar to several world currencies, and in fact, I would like you to try to name as many as you can come up with. There are six countries that use currencies, uh, excuse me, eight countries that use currencies that are either called rupee or words that are very, very similar to rupee. Uh, Hyrule, I believe. <laughs> oh, sorry, nine countries. <laughs> India. India, yes, the Indian rupee. The, the currency was, was established in the year 1540. Goodness gracious. That's an old currency, the Indian rupee. That's old money. It's old, like... old money. That's exactly right. It's older than America. It is older than America. It's older than, it's older than all three of us on this podcast right now. Combined. Combined, even. Uh, there's rubles. Or something. There's Raffi. Um. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's, that's sort of the, ch- the children's economy runs on Raffi's. <laughs> Raffi's and Taffy. <laughs> yeah, what's valuable in the children's economy? I guess candy, probably. Yep. Yeah, the. Candy. All, all children's currency is on the candy standard. So the the government of children guarantees that a dollar is a, a child dollar is always worth three Jolly Ranchers, which of course becomes a problem when Wait. when somebody hits a Jolly Rancher mine and, and floods the market with Jolly Ranchers. So if you start naming countries in near India, you, you would you would probably do pretty well. Pakistan. Pakistan does. Pakistan uses. There's the something Pakistan with uh, is there something with that candy currency? Uh, money is the root canal of all evil. Okay. Awesome, Austin. <laughs> uh, yes. So, moving on, the Pakistani rupee is a is a currency. One of the countries, the country that uses the rupiah, is a country where I have lived. I lived there for two and years here as, a, on, as a youngster. Here on the the what's that game where young couples go on and answer questions about each oh, other? The, the newlywed game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the newlywed game for you two to try to come up with uh, my my foreign endeavors. It's a it's a it's a South Asian country, isn't it? Southeast Asian country, yes. And were you to use the first three letters in the country India, and then just keep going, you might Indonesia. Yes, yes. There are thirteen thousand twenty four Indonesian rupees to a dollar. I assume you pay with notes that are bigger than like one. Right. right? Yeah. You don't have to. I don't think there are a lot of one rupee bills lying around. So, Southeast Asia had a currency crisis in the, in the late '90s. Soon after, maybe even while we were there, 
So I think that the exchange rate, even as we were leaving, was changing. Did you play a hand in the crisis, Tony? <laughs> you know, I, I was not involved in any foreign direct investment into any Southeast Asian countries that I know of. But who knows? Uh, who can say? Who can say? The Maldives use the Maldivian rufia. Mauritius uses the Mauritian rupee. Nepal, the Nepalese rupee. You already said Pakistan, and then the Seychelles use the Seychellois rupee. And then Sri Lanka uses the Sri Lankan rupee. In a, in a funny twist, uh, Sri Lanka uses the Vietnamese rupee. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish I knew the name of the, the Vietnamese currency. I could really back you up on that joke. Mm. But yes, those are, the, uh, those are the countries, in addition to Hyrule, a lot of South and Southeast Asia uses the rupee. See, if we still use gold, you know, we didn't have to have all these currencies and all these exchange rates. Everyone just carry their lumps of gold. Exactly. What a, better, what a better world that would be. <laughs> be <a> utopia. <laughs> yeah, just carry around a cheese grater. Um, <laughs> save a little off your block. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you and you and Ron and Rand Paul would would found a very nice utopia, just walking around with blocks of gold and shaving it off to buy things. You know, I don't need any kind of money if I'm in a utopia with Ron and Rand Paul. That's that's paradise. <laughs> the currency there is just love. <laughs> and there are five thousand five hundred twenty one thousand six hundred <laughs> of those. To, to one dollar exactly one, one rand to a dollar <laughs> uh can you name the currency units in the harry potter series are you familiar with with harry harry potter oh man we can do this nick i know it's gringa gringotts bank gringotts is the bank uh, so do wizards not use real money because obviously they're still kind of in the real world when they are buying things from other wizards, they use wizards' currency. And when they are buying things from muggles, they use muggle currency. Ooh. So the, the most valuable unit, it is a, uh, it is a type of boat. It is a, a sailing ship, if that helps. A galleon. Galleon, yes. Uh... That is the most valuable. Yes, so there are 17 sickles in a galleon. And then the least valuable... And and four quarts. <laughs> the least valuable is a is a nut or a nut <laughs> k n u t. I don't know what that is. How do you how would you pronounce that? Would you pronounce that nut or newt? I think it's a knut. Knut, sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so there are seventeen sickles in a galleon, twenty nine knuts in a sickle, and there so there are four hundred ninety three knuts in a galleon. W- would you like to guess what the value according to J K Rowling in twenty ten? What did she say the value of a galleon is? She quoted it in, in British pounds. She being, she being a British woman uh, is, would be prone yeah. to do that. However, I have uh, – I did, I did make the exchange rate check yesterday, although I realize now she quoted the, the value in 2010 pounds. And I yeah, it's a bit dated, Tony. 2017 U.S. dollars. And galleons, I think, are made of gold. So there's, I think, there's probably also some some precious metals value that I should have checked. Um, but imagine for a moment that the value of the galleon well, has stayed a- the same relative to British pounds, and that British pounds have stayed the same relative to U.S. dollars. I so think I that uh, the, I think that the galleon is worth about fifteen bucks. 
So if Tony, you could run those numbers for me. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually worth six point six nine U.S. dollars as of yesterday, uh, and she she quoted as five British pounds. So how much is a wand worth? Harry's wand from Ollivander's cost seven galleons. So if you do seven times, yeah, it's about fifty bucks. That's a good price for one that actually works. Yeah, definitely. That's a great price. Are you kidding me? That thing had a phoenix feather in it. Possible spoiler words. Yeah, that's a great deal. I'd pay that any day of the week. Can you imagine the audience that has listened to this episode of this show who would have Harry Potter spoiled for them? <laughs> that overlap is so... There's a phoenix in, it. There's a phoenix in Harry Potter? <laughs> trying to tell me that there are wizards in the story of Harry Potter? I've only made it through the first chapter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I literally think the entire series is just the Dursleys. Right? It's just, it's just a poor, lonely orphan living with his horrible aunt and uncle the whole time. Hey, there were, there were plenty of phoenixes, but they were never ordered. <laughs> <laughs> I've only made it further through the first four books. I don't know if phoenixes are ordered. Uh, shoot. Can you name the, the Flintstones TV show and Flintstones movie both had funny currency names? Can you name one or both of those? I think whatever currency was in the uh, Flintstones movie was probably less than what they paid to make it. <laughs> That's my guess. The Flintstones TV show uses a slang term for money that is also animalian in a way that would, would connect with somebody perhaps from the Stone Age. Hey, bones? Bones would be an excellent guess, but it is not, it is not the case. Clams. Clams. There it is. Yes, the Flintstones TV show that clams is the currency, and then in the, the film version, for some reason, they changed that to sand dollars. <laughs> Which is fun in its own way. Uh, Flintstones purists were outraged. <laughs> There were several demonstrations outside of movie theaters across the country. What do we want? Clams. When do we want them? Thousands of years ago during the Stone Age. What do we want? Clams. When do we want it? Thousands of years ago during the Stone Age. Well, sand dollars probably existed back then. They're prehistoric. Yeah, I think sand dollars have been around for a long time. Uh, Yeah, no, I I don't think the issue that the protesters had was with the historical accuracy, but was more so with the fidelity to the source material. Mm. Yeah, so those, uh, those are best-selling books and fictional currencies. Our last category of trivia is uh, rich fictional characters. Forbes magazine, which you may recognize from the song Billionaire by Bruno Mars. He says he wants to be on the cover of Forbes magazine, so maybe that's where you've heard of Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine used to do a fictional 15, where every year they would come out with the richest uh, fictional characters, the richest 15 fictional characters. And they haven't done it since 2013, so some of these cultural references are going to be a a tad outdated. But let me give you the the rules in order to be included on this list, and then uh, I'll let you posit some guesses as to who might be included. To qualify for the fictional 15, we require that candidates be an authored fictional creation, a rule which excludes mythological and folkloric characters. They must star in a specific narrative work or series of works, and they must be known both within their fictional universe and by their audience for being rich. 
Net worth estimates are based on an analysis of the fictional character source material and where possible valued against known real-world commodity and share price movements. In case of privately held fictional concerns, we seek to identify comparable fictional public companies. Tevya is not on that list. <laughs> but if he was, can you imagine? Can you imagine what he'd do with all that money? <laughs> what? I just... Oh, what would he do if he was a rich man? Um, well, this might be an obvious one, but my mind was going to uh, Wit from Wit End from Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, he probably I mean, has a fortune you, you gotta go for the easy buckets first. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, just knock off the top three right here. We got <laughs> Wit, obviously. <laughs> no, unfortunately, Wit did not make an appearance. Uh, he must have. He must have fallen on hard times in 2013, because he doesn't even make it anywhere in the top 15. This is always giving his ice cream away for free. <laughs> exactly, you can't make money doing that. <laughs> um, Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck is number one. Wow. Valued at valued by Forbes as having sixty five point four billion. In canon sources, he is quoted variously as having one multiplajillion nine obsquatamatillion six hundred twenty three dollars and sixty two cents. Uh, he's also quoted later as having five multiplajillion, nine impossibilion, seven fantastic a trillion dollars and 16 cents. So they like took the scenes of him swimming in money and somehow counted all the money. Right. Yes, like, I guess they tried to estimate the dimensions of the pool. <laughs> Olympic sized. <laughs> How about uh, Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka does not make the list. You know, I guess candy companies just aren't what they were, th- aren't, what, aren't what they used to be. You know, uh, Wonka is a rich man in kid currency, though. <laughs> he was extremely mm. rich in kid currency, yeah. So Forbes, the Forbes for Kids magazine has him at number one. <laughs> uh, but he, he does not appear in the, in the Forbes for Adults magazine. You get nothing. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have anything to give, apparently. Well, Nick's gotten the, the number one answer on the last three categories. Uh, yeah, Nick, you've been killing it, dude. As, as a clue, I will remind you that this came out in 2013. So there are some preferences which would have been timely in 2013, which now seem uh, may may not have aged super gracefully. Oh, is the uh, the gray from oh. uh, Fifty Shades of Gray on there? Goodness, dude! Christian Gray at number eight, net worth two point two billion dollars. Goodness! Do you oh. know how Christian Gray earned his 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 great wealth? A banker. Well, he made he made uh, some shrewd investments. According to the Fifty Shades of Grey wiki, Christian briefly attended Harvard University and studied for two years, but he eventually dropped out to start his own business. When he was 21, Elena, uh, side note, Elena is a former lover of his, I found out by reading the wiki, Elena loaned him $100,000 of her husband's money to help him start, and Christian's business eventually grew into the renowned Grey Enterprises Holdings Incorporated over the span of a few years. Grey Enterprises Holdings does have a, 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 a website set up and according to the website, it is a global leader in communications technologies, eco-manufacturing, and next-generation farming solutions. So it sounds like he's eager to plow in all fields of his life. <laughs> <laughs> um, his holdings are, are impossible to escape from. <laughs> How about Richie Rich? Richie Rich, number seven. $5.8 billion. Yes, do you know how Richie Rich, where does Richie Rich get his money from? Inheritance, right? Yes, his father, Richard Rich, 
wealthy industrialist. I think we've got a rich vein of superheroes we need to tap into. You uh, do have a few that you need to tap into. Tony Stark. That's exactly right. He comes in at number four, worth $12.4 billion, according to Forbes magazine. Now let's, let's stay in that, that superhero vein. Well, before we, before we go on to the next one, I want to tell you a little bit uh, about a man. Uh, <laughs> the bandit was throwing them all away. So the, what Forbes had to do was they had to evaluate the value of a ruby the size of a tangerine. <laughs> and your your father made his money, Mr. Wayne, by picking up all those rubies <laughs> that the bandit had been throwing away. And that's how you was born. <laughs> yes, Bruce Wayne of Gotham City, valued by uh, Forbes magazine at $9.2 billion. It's a rich man. Can you tell us which ones we've gotten, which numbers so far? I can tell you. You got number one, which was Scrooge McDuck. You got number four, which was Tony Stark. You got number six, which was Bruce Wayne. Seven, Richie Rich. And eight, Christian Grey. So you're doing really well. How about a, how about a clue? How about I will a give clue? you a clue. Well, I will give you, I'll give you a, a few clues. Again, I really I want to avoid spoilers. But in 2013, this character was alive. It is now 2017, and this character is no longer alive. They are from Dallas. <laughs> uh, Austin, it's not when you watched the show. It's, it's oh, when the okay. show came out. <laughs> um, oh, is it Walt from Breaking Bad? It is not Walt oh. from Breaking Bad, although that's not a bad guess. It's a good guess, Nick. He had three children, but one of his children did kill him. Spoiler alert. So it was probably his his fortune was probably split amongst just two of them. Oh, the Lannisters. Yes. Yes. Tywin. Yes, Tywin Lannister at number 9 valued at 1.8 billion. Since we're in the fantasy vein, you know, we talked about Scrooge McDuck swimming in his pile of money, uh, another character that uh, loves just hanging ah. out with his pile of money. Smog, of yes. course. Smog sits on a fortune worth 54.1 billion dollars. I feel like he sits on a bigger mountain than uh, Scrooge McDuck. Well, it's... yeah, but Scrooge McDuck also, I think he has investments and, and things like that. It's, you know, the pool is not his, the entirety of his, his fortune. Whereas Smog does not invest. Right, Smog <laughs> does not have investments throughout Middle Earth. Dragon needs to diversify his bonds. He does. Next on the list, for this one again, it will help to remember that this, this list came out in 2013, and for... I'm going to say teen and tween girls. That era was very important because of a few novels that came out. Mm. President Snow? Mm. No. Katniss Everdeen? Think pre-even that. Yeah. And I guess Hunger Games is not specific to tween girls. Is it Twilight from the book Twilight? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mr. Twilight? (laughs) Scrooge McTwilight. <laughs> you, you, you have now reached the correct series of novels. If you can come up with the name of the paterfamilias of the Cullen clan, I will be very impressed. Oh, uh, I know Edward Cullen is the love interest. Yes, Edward, Edward is the, I believe, adoptive <laughs> son of this character. His name is Carlisle. Carlisle Cullen. 
He's been a vampire since I think the 17th century, and so his his accrued wealth of 46 billion dollars comes from that, and the fact that he has a, I believe, an adoptive daughter or maybe a natural born daughter who is able to see into the future. So the Forbes magazine has surmised that he can make very good investments mm. uh, between having been alive for around 500 years and also having a daughter who can see into the future. I will say that I bet most of his money is blood money. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a media magnate who i believe uh i believe this might be the oldest uh oldest in terms of uh when the when the media or when when his his character was first appeared might be the oldest one on the list uh you may know him better from uh his his favorite winter pastime yeah, I was going to say Citizen Kane. Yes, Charles but, Foster Kane. But isn't isn't Chucky Kane based on uh, someone else? Uh, yeah, I mean he's he's based off of a real person, but but he <coughs> he himself is is a fictional fictional character. character. His it. his net worth is valued at eleven point two billion dollars. Is uh, Jay Gatsby on this list? Jay Gatsby like is on this list. Nick, uh, you are just full of them tonight. Yes, Jay Gatsby, number 15 on the list, worth a billion dollars. His wealth originates from racketeering and investments. Because he uh, saved uh, the guy on the boat, right? right. And then made him his son. Made some some wise decisions from there on out. There is another animated character. Wait, I got it. Montgomery Burns. Yes. (laughs) C. Montgomery Burns. He owns the... Springfield Nuclear Power Plants, net worth $1.5 billion. And rising. <laughs> and rising. <laughs> <laughs> the Ashton Kutcher character from Two and a Half Men is on this list. If you can name that character, I will be very impressed. I didn't even know they were rich in Two and a Half Men. Well, the Ashton Kutcher character is rich. He started a, a website and, and sold it to Microsoft for a billion dollars. His name is, is Walden Schmidt. Walden Schmidt. I believe the first woman on the list. She, uh, she would not be on this list if she followed Indiana Jones's maxim of it belonging in a museum. But as it is, she has, uh, she has raided a few tombs and, and become quite wealthy for it. Lara. Lara Croft. Yes. $1.3 billion. We have another woman on this list, and again, it may help to remember that this this list is from 2013. This is a uh, an heiress in a a rich English family mm. whose estate, the, whose titular estate, is the the subject of a television show. Is uh, Downton Abbey person? <laughs> yes, it is Lady Mary Crawley of Downton Abbey. Mm. Who, Great show. Who inherited money and and married rich as well. Uh, and how about uh, how about Anne Hathaway's character from Princess Diaries? Oh, <laughs> Princess of Genovia. <laughs> she doesn't make the list. the The last member of the list, number thirteen, the only one you haven't gotten yet. He is a fictional character, but he is not from a TV show or a book or a movie. He's a fictional character from a board game. And you must be the Monopoly guy. <laughs> yes, Mister Monopoly, the one and only real estate magnate. 
of Atlantic City, New Jersey, slash the Monopoly board. I assume they just uh, counted up all the money that comes with yep. Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just count up all the Monopoly money and that was what he was worth. How else could he quantify? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they took all the buildings on the Monopoly board and, and did their value today and added that up. Yeah. Estimated their square footage. All right. Of of all the boards combined, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he if he, he owns the Star Wars one Monopoly one. board, he owns the Death Star too, which is probably pretty valuable. Yeah, Lord of the Rings Monopoly owns uh, Mount Doom. And, uh, Mount Doom, that's got to be yeah. worth something. And Cherry Villopoly, he owns Hauser Drug. <laughs> um, so he's so rolling it. That's a couple bucks right there. <laughs> yeah. So those those are the uh, those are the Forbes 15 richest fictional characters. Yeah, it's a shame they aren't doing this list anymore. It's a good list. It's a very good list. You know, it'd be nice if Forbes would measure real people, not just fictional people. Yeah, it would be nice if Forbes for once stayed in the <laughs> real world. Forbes. Instead of fake people like Jay Gatsby and Bruno Mars. <laughs> uh, Guys, this has been fun. It's been a real treat. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's let's run through our business then. Thank you, Nick Nicholas, for participating today. Yeah, my pleasure. I I haven't seen you in person in a long time, Tony. So I ha- yeah, I, I perhaps maybe our chemistry has been out. lacking, but started to warm up. I think right. <laughs> Tony has been fully absorbed into the cloud. Um, so <laughs> get, get used to it. I'm I'm a hundred percent digital at this point. Hmm. My operating uh, system. <laughs> uh, we want to thank Anna for making our, our amazing logo. We want to thank Jude for providing the intro and outro music. And Jude, Jude Schuma, he's got a brand new spanking album. Yes, he does. It's very good. I listened to it on repeat four or five times in a row last night, and it's just uh, it's a great listen. I highly recommend it. Uh, give it one star. <laughs> one star. <yeah. laughs> I give it exactly as many stars as he wants. It's it's called Reflection. It's available on, you know, all manner of streaming services. And uh, I really do. Jude Schuma. That's J U D E space S H U M A. It's very good. Um, yeah, I think I like Jude Schuma's song Lemonade better than uh, Beyonce's Lemonade. Yeah, it, Lemonade well, is I think the highlight of that of that album. The summer of the summer. It's my summer <laughs> jam. Uh, cool. Uh, Thank you for listening, Austin. Do we have anything else that we want to say? You know, uh, I got a lot of buttons. A lot of buttons um, still. We are, uh, for, for an episode about about money, we are not making any money off buttons. Uh, <laughs> it's a not-for-profit if organization. Like, if you would <laughs> like one, um, shoot us an email at uh, at gmail.com um, or talk to one of us. Um, and I'll send you. I'll, I'll put one in the mail. Send it out to you. Hell yeah! Anna Swearinga has still not gotten one of hers. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I will remedy this week. Good, Anna. Good. Talking to you. Good looking out. The great buttons. I've gotten compliments. Nice. I I hope when you are complimented on them that you uh, make a recommendation to a very good podcast that is related to those buttons. Well, usually I'm just like. I don't know what the hell this is. Someone just put it on my backpack. <laughs> occasionally, I'll uh, give a recommendation. Uh, well, we appreciate it. And to those of you listening, you know, find a friend 
shake your friend's hand and say, listen up, bud, I have a podcast you might like. It's called Here's My Number, so call me Ishmael. Cool. Anything else we need to say? I think there's only one more thing. And, uh... and that's uh, goodbye. Goodbye.